Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, this is Taylor Vipolis. We've got a great podcast today where I'll break down everything from UNC's upset win over Miami, interview former Tar Heel linebacker Shaquille Rashad, and answer questions from fans. But first things first, I want to just talk about how amazing the atmosphere was in Keenan Stadium Saturday night. To me, that was the best crowd I can remember in Chapel Hill. Now, my Carolina football history isn't as extensive as some older people who've been around the program, but I'd have a hard time believing there's ever been a better atmosphere than that. Mainly, the student section was so impressive. I feel like there's always empty spaces here and there in the corners of that end zone. But Saturday, it it really didn't look like there was an empty seat to be had, and the students were in the game the entire time. Heck, in, in, in 2015, when we went to the ACC championship game and went undefeated at home, it still felt like we had to like beg people to come to our games. And then in years past, I feel like a majority of students and fans would have left after Miami took the lead with less than four minutes left. And Carolina had done next to nothing since the first quarter. It's a Saturday night approaching midnight and families want to get home and students want to get the night started. But Saturday just felt different. It felt like this was a crowd fully behind this team and the players fed off that energy. You saw the Tar Heels race out to a 17-3 lead early. And then after the fourth quarter video, the next three plays were an Aaron Crawford sack, a pass breakup, and then another Tamon Fox sack for Carolina to get the ball back. You always hear teams say they have a true home field advantage, but Saturday you actually felt that advantage for UNC. And then when Sam Howell completed that pass to Daz Newsom, the place just absolutely erupted. It felt like a fan base that has been craving big time football and that play was their signature moment. The only thing I can really compare it to was Geo's punt return against NC State, but even then this crowd was more into the game from start to finish. The problem with Carolina in my opinion is everyone that's a Carolina football fan is also a Carolina basketball fan. But not everyone that's a Carolina basketball fan is a Carolina football fan, if that makes sense. And if there's ever going to be someone who can bridge that gap, it's Mac Brown. In my mind, there's no real reason why Carolina can't grow into a perennial top 25 team. You've got the name brand. You've got the facilities. You've got a great area to recruit from. And now you've got a Hall of Famer coaching the team. If fans and recruits can't buy into that, then it'll just never happen at UNC. The South Carolina win was great for the program, yes. But I thought the Miami game was the moment people will eventually look back on for when the program potentially turned around because you could feel something special happening in Chapel Hill. Shifting to the actual game, you got to start off by saying Sam Howell has officially arrived. He throws such a great deep ball, 
And that was an area Carolina really struggled in last year. Last year, Carolina completed about 27% of their passes on throws 20 plus yards for just three touchdowns and two interceptions. And through two games, Sam Howell has completed nine of 14 of his passes for 64% for almost half the yards already, 275, three touchdowns and no interceptions. And we're just two games through the year. So you could actually see what this Carolina offense can do when they're able to stretch the field vertically. This Miami team, they sold out to stop the run and wanted to force Howell to beat them, and he did exactly that. That last drive was magical from Howell. I remember thinking people were crazy for comparing a true freshman to Baker Mayfield, a Heisman Trophy winner, but the more you watch Howell, you could see a lot of similarities in their games, especially that ability to make something out of nothing. Howell similar to Mayfield he has that he has that swagger to him where you always feel like he can make a play and that's something we haven't seen in Chapel Hill at quarterback since a guy like Mitch Trubisky left by no means am i saying you know he's going to be a Heisman trophy winner or he's he's this fully developed product right now because he for sure has a lot of room still left to grow but so far, I don't think you could have asked for a better start to the Sam Howell era in Chapel Hill. He's giving the receivers a chance to make plays, and they're starting to play with more confidence. I've seen flashes from guys like Daz Newsome and Deami Brown to think they can be number one receivers in this offense. And that's not something we saw really all last year, that consistency and that belief that somebody would was always ready to make a play that catch Newsom made to win the game it gets more impressive the more you watch it to be coming that fast out of his break on that corner route and be able to control his body the way he did and get both feet down that's a touchdown on Sundays it that was truly remarkable and the last point I'll make on the offense before switching to defense Javante Williams is another player I wanted to be sure to highlight on this offense. Before this season, when I talked to people around the team, all I heard was Javante Williams, Javante Williams. He's a star. I'm telling you, Vip, he's the best back on this team. He's one of the best backs in the ACC. He'll show he's one of the best running backs in this country. And I thought that was people close to the program getting caught up in the preseason hype. They're around these guys all the time, you know, and, just looking at the stats from a realistic perspective, Javante Williams rushed for just about 225 yards, I'm pretty sure, last season. But the hype around Javante Williams is, it's for sure real. He's averaged 90 yards per game rushing the first two games against two really good defenses in Miami and South Carolina that are loaded with NFL talent. And I think the more you watch Javante Williams, the more impressed you are with him it's he's a guy who he never goes down on first contact he's he always makes at least one man miss and that's something that when Carolina can rotate Michael Carter and and Antonio Williams a guy like Javante Williams he's fresh in the fourth quarter when you need him the most and I'm expecting him to continue a big year there's there's no 
there's no reason in my mind why a guy like Javante Williams can't rush for a thousand yards. And right now he's, he's right on pace for that. Switching to the defense. I mentioned this in my post game analysis video. The star of the defense to me is, is Carolina's defensive line, Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge, Alan Cater, Tamon Fox, those guys up front, when they play as well as they did, you're always going to have a chance to win the game. And for the second week in a row, the defense gave Carolina a chance to win the game and let the offense make plays and weren't a liability. Those four, they just play so well off each other. And it seems like whenever Carolina needs a big play from the defense or the defense to step up, one of those four is getting pressure on the quarterback getting a sack, getting a quarterback hurry, and letting the offense come back on the field. North Carolina's defense, they rank as the 16th best team among all Power 5 schools in third down defense. The Tarles have allowed just six conversions in 23 attempts, good for 26.1%. They're just doing a great job getting off the field in those situations. And it starts up front with how uncomfortable they're making quarterbacks on the opposing teams. Jake Bentley, a four-year starter, made him look really uncomfortable. Jaron Williams is a good quarterback for a redshirt freshman. And I think as you see more and more Jaron Williams, he's going to show why he's going to be the guy for the for the future for the Miami Hurricanes. And they made those guys very uncomfortable when the game mattered the most and put them and gave Carolina a chance to win the game. And 16th best on third down defense, not too many teams above them have played even one team of South Carolina or Miami's caliber to start the season, let alone two. So right now, Carolina's defense is way ahead of schedule. I was impressed with them again in the Miami Again, in the Miami game, I think they're still a little susceptible putting their linebackers in coverage. I think they're a little susceptible down the field um, when their safeties are getting tested. But when when people ask me, you know, how sustainable is this team's success? I look at, you know, where they're dominant and that's running the ball and it's controlling the defensive line. And those are two things. If it's working, it's easier to replicate on a week-to-week basis. So I think this Carolina team, off to a, off to a 2-0 and start, according to ESPN's FPI, North Carolina had about a, less than a 9% chance to start 2-0. So obviously the Tar Heels are beating the odds, but looking at this team going forward, I think this is something they can replicate on a week-to-week basis. If you're getting this kind of play from Sam Howell, if you're getting this kind of production from your running back unit, and if you're getting this kind of production from your defensive line unit. The last person I want to talk about on defense is Trey Morrison. He's he's similar to Javante Williams, where the more you watch him, the more impressed you are with him. He's a guy that I think will eventually be playing on Sundays in the NFL. He's he's a guy that now I'm looking forward to step in that number one corner role with Patrice Erne going out with a torn ACL. Miami tested him a lot of times, and he was traveling with Miami's number one receiver, 
around the field and Trey Morrison, I mean, he every every deep ball they took on him ended up in a com- incompletion. He's a guy that even when he gets beat, he's got such good recovery skills and knows how to play through a receiver's hand. And I think that's that's a huge key for a defensive back. And he's really embraced moving outside to corner. And I think it's going to – losing a guy like Patrice Rene is going to hurt for sure. But I think Trey Morrison's play and how he's ready to be a number one cornerback this early, I think that's going to help lessen the blow. So now we're going to get to the Shaquille Rashad interview. But first – I wanted to talk to you about Johnny T-Shirt, located in downtown Chapel Hill. They've been a Franklin Street tradition since 1983. Family and alumni owned and operated. It's just a great place to stop by on game days. They've got you covered with everything you need football-wise. They've got jerseys. They've got your Mac is back T-shirts. They've got your hats, your sideline gear, your Tar Heel tailgating supplies. Basically, whatever you need Carolina-wise. Johnny T-shirt is the place to go and get it. You can shop online at johnnytshirt.com or when you come to Chapel Hill for game days, make sure to stop by there and don't forget Inside Carolina subscribers get an exclusive 10% discount on everything they sell. So everyone, go check out Johnny T-shirt, support your local business and buy your Carolina gear. Okay, let's get to the Shack interview. Joining me now on the podcast we have former Tar Heel linebacker Shaquille Rashad. Shaq, I wanted to have you as a guest last week. Can you first just tell the people why you couldn't do the podcast last week? <laughs> uh, I had a bit, a bit too much fun at the game in Charlotte. Lost my voice. I was without a voice until probably uh, probably Tuesday. So when you texted me this time, I thought it was pretty funny. You just said, hey, is your voice back? Can you do the podcast this week? And I, I appreciate you having me back, man. Is that something you had to be conscious about this weekend, knowing that I could choose you? Because I feel like every every game day, you're you're losing your voice like crazy. No, and I, I do. I think that my voice. I don't think I change. I don't change my game plan going into it. I'm going to scream. That's what I'm going to do. But I haven't been screaming like this since the Heels were playing basketball last March, you know. And so my voice wasn't ready for all that, all the work it was going to get. And so I came back. Uh, the voice bounced back a little, and I expect by the end of the season I won't lose my voice at all. But I did better this week than I did last, and that's the goal every week, honestly. Just get a little bit better. Just a little better every week. Let's address yep. the elephant in the room to start. You tweeted, if Sam Howell scores here, I'll name my first child Sam Howell Rashad. Will you be following through with that? I am a man of my word until the day I have my first child 20 years from now, and then I'll break my word. But until then... I'm going to keep saying I'll do it to keep people happy. Um, the people are crying for it. It seems like they want it, and who knows? Maybe it'll work out. I just don't see it happening right now. You've been to the first two games. So what have you kind of thought about this team early on in the season? I think it's been fun. I've tried my hardest um, not to, like, watch the game as a coach or as, like, a player or anything, but to just sit back and really enjoy them. But – we even without trying to watch the game and like analyze and really break it down and see it. I've noticed that like they play really hard. They play really fast and they're playing with so much confidence and that's, it's really fun. They're having a great time out there. And I think that's really cool. Like it's, it's hard to watch that team and not see how hard they're playing. You look at them on defense and you see guys flying all over the place. One guy comes in, hits somebody, gets them up. He's got four of the dudes coming in behind him, taking shots at the ball. 
and that's fun. And, and I thought what was really surprising, not because I didn't think highly of the guys, but just because of like what people were talking about. You coming into the season, all you heard about the offense is, oh, they're going to be flying around, throwing the ball over the place. But they played physical, which was really fun. I, I went back and watched the game again yesterday, actually, and saw that like we get to the, uh, what was it? It was that we were in the low red zone on like the two yard line. And if you had listened like what people thought and were saying, you would have thought they, oh, they're throwing the ball around. We put three tight ends on the field and shoved the ball down Miami Stewart. So I thought that was really cool. It's, it's a really physical team, and I, I love watching them. How would you describe the atmosphere in Chapel Hill on Saturday? It was unbelievable. Um, I think that just like coming back and seeing how excited everyone is for this team. Um, and I'm sure, obviously, Mac has had a lot to do with it. You see Mac is back everywhere. I think it's great. It's really cool that everyone's excited about that. But it's really cool for the guys, too, to, to understand that everyone has their backs. The place was absolutely electric. It started off, like, early. I mean, we were out and about probably, what, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And from yeah. that time on, you, it felt like it was absolutely electric. And, like, it, honestly, the last time, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the last time I felt like that at a game day, was back when I was going to those Florida games when Tebow and those boys were down there. We know how it turned out for them. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Hefty comparison right there. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. If I, when I was younger, I'm, I'm, you know this, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I grew up going to watch Tebow, Chris Leak, all those guys in the swamp. It felt like I was back in Gainesville in what, 07, 08? It felt like that, man. We keep doing our part. They keep doing theirs. All bets are off, baby. We've been saying it for a while. All now. bets are off. That is a fact. <laughs> you were around when Mac Brown was hired. What were your first impressions of him? I think I immediately just believed the hype. I obviously grew up a football fan, so I, I grew up watching him at Texas. I, and then I get to UNC, and I, I hear about you know what he did the first time there. Uh, but I was with him on the staff for, what, like two, three weeks, whatever. Um, and he was still putting together his staff at the time. So it's not like we were doing the, you know, football breakdown stuff, but we were just, I was just seeing what he was doing and the way he walked around, the way he carried himself, the way everyone respected him, the way he respected everyone else too. I just believe the hype. It was like, you know, you meet a legend and you would expect that, <laughs> that it's not going to live up to the hype, but he absolutely did. And he, he continues to do it with his team every day. One of the biggest things Mac Brown has put an emphasis on is getting the letterman back around the program and, as a letterman yourself, is that something you've kind of noticed with Mac? Yeah, it's been really cool. I, I've seen teammates uh, that that I didn't see in Chapel Hill for years, guys that moved out to the West Coast, guys that moved all over the place. They ended up – I'll just be scrolling through Instagram one day and just see that they were back at practice one day and they are out with the team at the field or that they were getting a tour of the new stadium. And so to see guys come back around is awesome. I mean, we, uh, we sent out texts to as many people as we could going to that Charlotte game and I was expecting realistically like two, three guys to be in town for it. And everyone's like, oh, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. We end up putting together a crew of 16, 17 ourselves. And then all of a sudden we go to a different tailgate. There's 15, 20 more guys. It felt like we had somebody from every like decade of UNC football there, honestly, which is awesome. We could do a podcast just on that that Airbnb yeah, alone. <laughs> what a crew, huh? We'll, say, we'll save it for another time. We'll save it for Absolutely. another time. But what <laughs> yeah. about what coach Bateman is doing. What did you kind of uh, get from him when you met him in that short time? And just what are your thoughts on what he's doing in Chapel Hill? Like I said, like I, when I was there with them, it was honestly, they, they came in, unpacked their bags and hit the road recruiting. 
but I did get to, so we didn't get into the football stuff of it, but, but to see the way he interacted with the players, the way he interacted with the recruits and honestly how smart he is with this stuff. Uh, I mean, he's, the guy's brilliant. He knows what he's doing and he, he truly does feel like a, a football guru. And to go back and watch these games and how the guys are playing, you see people blitzing from all over the places. I can only imagine what it feels like to be a quarterback playing against this team. Cause it's, it's just fun to watch, and, and they're playing so fast, which makes it all look even better. But he's clearly gotten the confidence of these guys, which is awesome. So, I mean, he can put together a great scheme, but if the guys aren't playing with confidence, it doesn't go well. And they are. They're playing with so much confidence. They're having fun with it. So it's easy to watch, and it's, it's fun to watch. How innovative would you say what Coach Bateman is trying to do in the ACC? Because this feels like something that's going to be really tough for teams to prepare for with limited game film and – just how unique he is mixing up his fronts and where his pressure is coming from. Yeah, I, I do think that makes it really hard on people because he's, like you said, he's innovative. And you can watch a play, watch a couple plays in early. It's, it looks like they're doing all kinds of different. You see personnel changes too. So you got guys running on and off the field. And I don't think, I genuinely don't believe that people have a good idea of what we're doing. And I said, that's a good thing. I think he's smart enough to stay out ahead of it. I'm excited to watch this defense keep playing. And I really don't think that, people are ever going to be able to get a grip of what he's doing just because he's, I like to believe, smarter than anybody he's going to play against. One of the biggest question marks for this Carolina team coming into the season was their linebackers. You had Chaz Surratt switching over from quarterback. Jeremiah Gemmel, very limited game experience. Dominique Ross, John Smith, you're just waiting for them to put together full games. And as an all-ACC linebacker yourself, what is the best advice you would have now to the linebackers on this team? Uh, two things, and I'll answer your question first and then get into something else. Uh, to answer your question, I, I think the best advice is, like we said, we just spent three minutes gassing up Coach Bateman. So the best advice to linebackers is keep listening to their coaches. They have a great staff. Underst- learn and understand their job within the system and, and do that to the best of their ability. I don't think anybody needs to go out on any given play and try to be a superhero. Just go out, do your job, and watch it all come together. And the other thing I wanted to add is I have a soft spot in my heart for Chaz because I, too, am a quarterback converted to linebacker. I made my switch in sixth grade. I made my (laughs) switch in the the sixth grade. But we're both both lefty quarterbacks. We both switched to linebacker. And, I mean, I just love it. And and what is he's wearing 21 now, right? Yeah. 42 is a multiple of 21. We have a lot going on. Uh, I think we're connected by a lot of things. So I'm I'm pumped for him. It's, It's fun to watch him do well. With that shared experience, is there any tips you gave Chaz for kind of ditching your quarterback your quarterback days and becoming a physical linebacker? No, I think he was. I mean, I, I didn't. I don't, he hadn't made the switch yet when I was uh, when I was there. But you know, if I could say something, I'd say just have fun with it. You don't get it's it's not as much glory. You know, as a as a sixth grade quarterback, I still enjoyed you know to walk around middle school knowing that like I, I was the guy. You know. Uh, he got to walk around campus in college, which is a little different, I understand, but thinking like, hey, I'm a quarterback. But a few less cameras on you now. You don't get to touch the ball every play, but just enjoy knowing that you are the, the quarterback of the defense. Maybe that's why our transitions happen that way. Big man on the playground. So you were <laughs> you were a quality control coach for Carolina last year. What kind yeah. of led to you deciding to step away from coaching, and what are you up to now? Um, I had fun. I, I think a lot of people thought that us not having a great season was the reason I decided to get out of it, which is not true at all. I, I did. I mean, I, it 
of course, was unfortunate to have a bad season, but that wasn't it. It was just that kind of coaching isn't for everyone, and they'll say that to you when you get into it. Anyone that's coaching will tell you coaching isn't for everyone. Coaching wasn't for me, and so uh, I stepped away from it. I was. It's a thing that my entire life I said, I don't think I want to coach, I don't think I want to coach, and then when football kind of finally actually came to an end, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try coaching so I can stick around the locker room a little longer, and I wanted it to – I wanted to like it. It wasn't like I was miserable. I was in a place that I loved, uh, enjoyed being back in Chapel Hill. I just knew it wasn't for me long-term. Uh, and so I decided to go ahead and step away at this point. And now uh, I'm actually working with a sports agency down here in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, living at the beach, enjoying life down here, and uh, kind of navigating life after football. How did you wind up at North Carolina from Florida? Because originally I – think you committed to Butch, stayed when Withers was the interim, you stayed when Fedora was the interim. So what was it about <laughs> North Carolina where you knew that was a school for you, no matter who was in, uh, who was coaching? It was a school. And like you said, it was a school. I went through three head coaches by the time I got to campus. But um, I, I think that, and I, I'm glad I made the decision this way because it worked out. I ended up having a different position coach every single year. I had, like you said, all those different head coaches. But I and I loved all of them. So, but even if I hadn't been in a place that I genuinely did love, it like I did, I would have been pumped because I just loved Chapel Hill. I loved UNC, and that's why I was able to make the decision. And that's why I ended up in Chapel Hill because I was, uh, I, I was lucky. I had a brother go through the recruiting process, and he played in college. And I think he was, yeah, he was. He was out of the NFL. So my brother's football career started and ended before I ever started getting recruited or anything. And so I kind of seen like the full life cycle of it all. And so I went into it with a really good idea of what I wanted. And so it was easy that once I saw it, I committed to Chops to UNC. And then kind of the moving pieces didn't bother me at all. Um, I remember I, uh, the day that they announced Coach uh, Davis was getting fired, uh, someone calls me. It was someone like one of the – I think it was someone from 24-7 Sports. It actually, might have been Don. I'm not sure. But he calls me and he says, uh, wait, was Don with – I'm sorry. I'm not going to try to get that part right. It doesn't matter. But I get a call and they're, they're saying, hey, are you going to stay committed to you in this? And I was like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? And then they announced Withers is going to be taken over to head coach at some point. And then, then they switched that and someone calls and says, hey, you stinking? I was like, yeah, of course, why not? Like I, when I chose this school, I told you guys that I was choosing it regardless of what happened in football. I was choosing it because I loved the school. I wanted the great academics and the football was a bonus. And luckily, I mean, like not luckily, unfortunately, I had to like prove that, I guess. But it all worked out in the end. I, I loved my time there and I enjoyed it. Met some great friends along the way. Goheels.com on your bio. For the nickname section, it lists Shaktus, Shack in a Box, Shacktastic, Shackopotamus, Radio Shack, Shacky Robinson, and St. Shacktrick. And in my opinion, nicknames are like quarterbacks. If you have multiple nicknames, you have no nickname. Also, <laughs> besides your Twitter name, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call you one of those names ever. Okay, so... Uh, St. Shaktrick is the thing that people will say. I can prove that one. Um, I, and I will say they will say it ironically because I said it enough to kind of make a catch. But I call it St. Shaktrick's Day uh, because my birthday is also St. Patrick's Day. So people will say that one to me. When they text me on my birthday, they'll say, Happy St. Shaktrick's Day. Um, Radio Shack, I'll give a guy a little shout out here. Devin Ramsey, the 17th year senior when I got to school, he, he called me. I think Radio Devin Ramsey is still think, on the team. Kevin Ramsey is still playing at UNC 22 <laughs> years later. <laughs> he's re-enrolling. He's coming back. Um, but no, you're right. Most most of the time, people won't call me those nicknames. But I call them my I call myself those nicknames. And all I need is one person to say it. Even if it's not, you know, even if it's just me saying it, that's all I need to give myself that nickname. 
When you look back at 2015 and that special team, what were some of the most memorable moments for you? Um, ooh, that's a tough one, actually. I think the one that stands out the most is the Virginia Tech game because that was a big one. And I think that one stands out the most because, of course, Quinshot's catch to win it was unbelievable. But also because looking back on it, like it just felt like hey, coming into it, we had all the confidence in the world, right? We were playing the game. We, we do great early. And then we kind of like start to lose it towards, the, I guess it was third or fourth quarter. And then it just kind of all, like I remember sitting down on the bench and being like, oh my gosh, this is going to be something they talk about at Virginia Tech forever. You know, they, they go down big. It's Beamer's last home game. They go down big. They come back. We go to overtime. And I was like, we, we can't let that happen. These Virginia Tech Hokies will talk about it for the next 177 years. And luckily, we got together and fixed it. But that was a big one. I think another one that stood out was um, Clemson. It was walking like out, walking out of the, uh, the tunnel when we were walking out for the captains. And um, just seeing it and really taking it in. That was the first time that year that it really hit me. Like it, it set in. I was like, oh, my gosh, we're playing the ACC championship. America's watching right now. And, and it, it was a two, three-second split thing. But, like, that was one moment that really did hit me. And it stands out as something I don't think I'll ever forget. Now, that team had some great overall games. The comeback against Georgia Tech, the blowouts against Miami, the blowouts against Duke. Um, getting out early, NC State basically blowing them out. At what point would you say you knew we had a really special team that year? It's it's funny that when you say that, it was all the plays and like moments and games because it never felt like in a game that I mean, not like we were winning obviously, but it it didn't hit me in games that we were special. I think the moment it hit me it had to be like it's like week nine or week ten. And, uh, and JP, Coach Papuchas has actually mentioned this to Jeff and I when we were talking about it not too long ago. He is like, it's funny, like, the look on you guys' faces. He's like, and I guess it's because you hadn't been doing great the years before. You know, we were sitting around 500 the two years before that. He's like, I remember just the way people walking around the building. It was great because people were staying humble and everything. So he's like, nobody really understood what was on the line. Like, we for so long have been playing to just make it and scratch and claw and make our way into a bowl game that we didn't understand what we were playing for at this point, that we were, you know, eight or nine and one, and we had a good chance to be playing the ACC championship against the number one team in the country as a pretty highly ranked team at one point. And he said, this, the reason we were talking about is because he said when he explained it to us, when he said it to us, he's like, hey, guys, like, here's what you're playing for. He said the look on our faces was just, like, dumbfounded. Like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Like, we didn't think about that. So I think it was walking out of that meeting where it hit me. And we were like, oh, my gosh, like, we're playing for something big. This is way bigger than we've been playing for. We were trying to go to the – uh what was it, the, the car care bowl in Detroit the year before, which was a great accomplishment, but it was, it's different than playing an ACC quick lane bowl. against the number one team. You know? The quick lane bowl in Detroit, yes. <laughs> Love those hot dogs. I was not going out. back Shout to Detroit out. no matter what. <laughs> if if we went back to Detroit, dogs. I would have got kicked off that trip. <laughs> yeah, man, that was a rough one. It was fun, though. It was a bonding experience for the boys. <laughs> what do you think about when people say – the 2015 season was a fluke. There was no injuries. I think the biggest injury that happened that year was me tearing my ACL, being a scout team hero. <laughs> oh, a week schedule. A uh, that was a tough it loss. It was a tough team. loss. I don't know how the defense recovered after not getting <laughs> those great of looks anymore. But 
no injuries really, a weak schedule, a down year in the Coastal. What do you think about when people kind of take away from what that 2015 team was able to accomplish? You know, Vip, until this very moment when you said that just now, I have never heard someone do that to me make me feel less good about that season. So thank you, man. I appreciate you. I've got to stay off the message boards. I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for taking away what I thought we'd accomplished. Uh, no, it, it doesn't bother me. I People are allowed their opinions. That's fine. I um, I saw the, the work that the team put in. I saw that we had some lucky breaks, of course. But the guys, we all put in a lot of work. And so if someone wants to say that it means less, that's fine. They can do it. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm happy. We had a good time. It was, it's fun to look back on. So I, I have it set in my head how it played out and why it did that way. I think someone would be hard pressed convincing me otherwise, man. North Carolina, one of the biggest what if scenarios this decade in college football with that offsides call against Clemson, the wrong call. But in your mind, what would have happened? if that onside kick wasn't called and how the rest of the season could have played out? I am 1,000% confident that if we get that onside kick, our offense goes down and scores. Um, and then, of course, defense takes the field and we're playing against a pretty good guy that I'm actually watching on Monday Night Football right now. We'd have to go play against Deshaun Watson. But I, I think that we would have had a chance. Um, and then if we win that game and we I, – I don't see, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's tough to say. What were we, were we like? Ten, nine, eight, or something? I think we were eight. Eight. So you have an eight team. Yeah. I mean, there's a shout at making the playoffs. I think it would have been pretty fun though if we win the game, we get snubbed and don't go to the playoffs, and then we get to be the grumpy old guys the rest of our lives saying the college football playoff committee uh, kept us away from our national championship. You know, and we could we could pull a uh, we could have been the original UCF. Ah, uh, they kept us out. We would have wanted if they sent us. Out. <laughs> I would have loved in the first. Yeah, exactly. We have a parade and everything. We would have wanted if they sent us. Yeah. Now, in your playing days for North Carolina, you had three interceptions, but only five return yards. Does that keep you up at night? Does that haunt you? It's all about the way you think about it, man. Yeah, three, three interceptions, five return yards, but they were competitive catches. They were catches in traffic. Um I, my yak doesn't look great, but if I can't, you know, if I'm going up, catching the ball over probably realistically nine dudes on the other team, it's me on nine dudes. I come down with the ball. I I'm happy to just have the ball. I, I don't need to have the return yards. I'm happy to just give it back to our offense. One of those interceptions though, should not have happened. It was a fourth and <laughs> a fourth down. And I, I caught it like 15 yards downfield. Probably should have batted that one down, but 10 years from now when I'm talking about it, I'll be glad to sit at the interception. Is it bad for your brand that Jeff that Jeff Schottmer has a pick six and at times with the ball that Miami game, he looked like Barry Sanders moving down the field? It's uh well the reason you like Barry Sanders is because if you go back and watch his pick six against San Diego State and the one against Miami, I had big time blocks on both of them. And I'm happy that I was able to help my guy out, but I don't think he looks like Barry if I don't look like the man, you know, paving the way for him. Nobody knows that guy's name. Now I'm going to look it up. Who, who was blocking for Barry? You're, you're I, that I guy. wanted to say a name. I almost dropped the name just to say it, hoping nobody would look it up. <laughs> Back to those seasons, what was it like playing for Coach Chiswick, and what kind of impact did he make on the team when he came to Chapel Hill? 
It was huge. It, it was it was big right off the bat. I mean, he came in and and he told us, "Hey, look, I've been to this place. I've won, you know, this game, uh, and here's how I did it. And here's what I'm going to expect of you. And you know, we can win some football games too if you listen." He's like, "Here's the standard. We're not coming off of it." And it was great to to come in because people immediately bought in, um, and then we were ready to go to work. So and and he was a great guy, and it was really cool to hear some of the stories. Like I said, grew up watching him at Texas and watching Chiz at Auburn and to hear stories and stuff, him talk about some of my favorite teams that I'd watched growing up was fun. Great guy. I got to talk to him not too long ago. He was back in Chapel Hill, but it's, it was, it was a fun season. And I think it, I don't think anyone expected it to turn around as quickly as it did, which was, which was cool. Um, I enjoyed it. Really did. Now we'd be remiss not to talk about coach Fedora and just the big impacts he's had on our lives. So when you think back, to your time spent with Coach Fedora, do you have any memories that kind of stick out? <laughs> this is a tough one. I think one of my favorite ones to just think about is that he came in, and uh, and I remember one time it was my freshman year. I'm, I'm walking past the equipment room, and I see them wheeling in like a uh, a little dolly with like probably ten, fifteen cases of Red Bull on it. And I was like, oh, what is this, the Red Bull for the season for the whole staff? And they're like, no, this is uh, this is the Red Bull for the month. <laughs> Probably won't even last us that long, honestly. And Coach Fedora's going to drink most of it. And I was like, oh, this guy is a big Red Bull person. And so he goes through the year knocking down what must have been 27 Red Bulls a day uh, and then comes back the next year and tells us he's decided to be a little healthier because people had told him that he wasn't going to <laughs> be able to keep going very long if he drank that many Red Bulls every day. And he had just switched to sugar-free, as if that was the only problem with what he was doing. I mean, that this is a true Coke to Diet guy. Coke. That's, yeah, Coke to Diet Coke <laughs> and Red Bull, the sugar-free Red Bull. And I was like, you know what? This is kind of grit I can support. I like this. <laughs> yeah, once th- there's two quick stories I wanted to share just about Coach Fedora. One was when I was deciding whether or not I wanted to be a coach, um, he sat me down in his office and I think he spent maybe an hour with me just going through like the pros and cons of what it, what it's like being a coach, you know, things he would have done differently going up, right. things he wish he would have known. And I just thought that was, you know, such a cool opportunity being with somebody who like reached the highest of high levels um, and an opportunity he really didn't have to give me, but he did look out for me. And then the second story that I want to share with people is one time, we were in the cafeteria and it was around it was around homecoming or LDOC and two chains was performing uh later that week at campus and Annie Hansen, who was the recruiting coordinator, comes up to our table and it's me and Coach Fedora sitting down and she says, Coach Fedora, two chains wants to come to practice. And Coach Fedora just looked up at her with the most puzzled look on her, her <laughs> fi- on his face and just said, What the heck is a two chains? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is a two chain? I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man. What but the heck is a two chains? Life you spent that life as a graduate assistant, as a quality control coach, basically right. the same thing. What was it like being in that locker room and that building last year? Because I feel like like obviously fans are upset that the team isn't winning, but they don't realize how when teams are losing. Yeah, um, I think that it was one thing that was really good to see was that 
obviously the guys are disappointed. We were all aware that we that we weren't the season wasn't going the way we wanted it to. And but what I thought was really cool was that the guys always came back ready to work. And we're seeing this year how resilient the group is because it's a lot of the same guys, obviously. And to see their work pay off now is really nice. But they were coming to work every day last year, man. It was really cool. I mean, even at, you know, we're one, two wins in, in week seven, eight, nine, ten of the season, you got guys staying after practice to watch film, guys coming in early, guys coming on weekends to get workouts in. And so to see that was really cool. And I truly do believe that these guys earned it. They deserve what they're, everything they're getting this year. And I hope it continues to go great for them. But it was it was rough around the building. It was it was hard at times, obviously, to keep your spirits up. But the way people were ready to go to work every single day always made it feel a little bit easier. Yeah, I think the high quality of the character of the kids that Coach Fedora recruited and brought in, you're really seeing that now. And you're seeing kind of how grateful this team is now this season when they're finishing games late. But one thing I wanted to go back to as a quality control coach and Life is not too glamorous. You're not getting paid too much. I was I was kind of there in the same position when I was doing videos for the team. So what's the most broke you ever felt back in Chapel Hill? Oh, back in Chapel Hill. Wow, I didn't see that turn coming. Um, it never, I will say, it never felt too, too bad. Like you're saying, uh, you're, you're working for like food stamps, but... Uh, <laughs> but I think that what made it easier, obviously, was the fact that you live at the stadium, basically. Like, right, you're there from super early to super late. You eat all your meals there. You're you're there what seven days a week, so you never really have time to do too much else. Um, I'll give you a hot take though. When you you mentioned this question before, I didn't know it was just in Chapel Hill. I think the brokest I've ever felt was when I was actually with the Texans when I was in Houston, because. <laughs> You're like living in Chapel Hill in a college town, like you, you can find a $3 food special anywhere. You never really have to spend money, but you move to a real city, have to pay real rent. And then you look at guys that are making $17 million. You're like, Oh boy, this is not cool. You know, I wish I was you. I think that's the broke. The broke I ever felt was when I, I like, I get there and I'm like walking to practice from the, the rookie hotel and I'm walking past like 17 Lamborghinis. And I'm just like, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is this is a different world, huh? This is different. Speaking of living at the stadium, there was one point uh, back in 2017, I think, where I was in between leases and I needed like a month uh, or maybe like two weeks to a month of where to stay. And I, I was looking up like how much it would be to rent a place for a month. And I was like, oh, man, I can't afford that. I just went out to Target, bought an air mattress, put it, Come put it in the Come on, you live at the stadium? <laughs> With things out yeah. of my car, man. The grunt. How, how many people do you know in Chapel Hill? I, it, was a pride a it was a pride thing, I think. I could have yeah. called my family and be like, hey, I need like 600 bucks. I, I was like, oh, I'm, no chance. Zero chance so I do that. You lived at the stadium? Yeah, it was a grind. It was a grind for sure. Grabbing food off the snack cart too on the second floor. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of couches there. I had, I had an air mattress, a great air mattress from Target. They didn't sponsor this, so I might bleep out the name Target just because I don't want them Hashtag to get any ads. free ads. <laughs> just because I don't <laughs> want them to get any free ads. But there's plenty of TVs there. Like you said, you're basically there all night. There's a, a personal gym. There's uh, showers, TVs, basically whatever you need in that stadium, they've got it. And then the receiver room is kind of, it's kind of spacious. 
good air, yeah, good air control. If you're and, and I'm sure you are, but if you're decent with computers and stuff, you can figure out how to get to like movies and toss one up. So instead of watching football film, you just I've watched Disney movies in the offensive line room before. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend I wouldn't recommend living at the stadium, but it's nice to know it is an option. It's an option. It's always there. That's fair. I like that. Since since leaving Chapel Hill and your playing days, what do you miss the most about Chapel Hill? I think it's just, uh, and this is the thing that came up no less than 300 times for that weekend while we were in Charlotte. But we were saying it was it was crazy that for four years of our lives, and so obviously it's four with your group and three with the other groups or two with whatever. But for those years, you see a hundred of your best friends every single day. And then all of a sudden you graduate and you see some guys on TV, some guys on Instagram, whatever. But for the most part, you'll never all be together again like that. So I think it's just seeing all my friends, which is why the weekends like Charlotte and stuff are fun because it's for well, a lot of us and a couple of us got in there Thursday night. So from Thursday night until Monday, it felt like college again, right? You wake up, grab breakfast with the guys, go sit on the couch, watch some music videos, do whatever. But like, it felt like college again for four days. And then we all were sleepless and miserable heading back to our real lives on Monday. But for a little bit, it was a break. And so what I think I missed most about college and Chapel Hill was just seeing everyone and having a whole little world to ourselves that we were in in Chapel Hill. Now I'm going to let you get some plugs off. What would you say is your ideal day in Chapel Hill? So best food spot for dinner and then best bar to go to at night? Oh, man, two birds, one stone. You go to Bob's or both. Shout out, Corey. I hope you listen to this. But, uh, no, it's Bob's is great, man. I remember in, um, when we had Sundays off, we would always just wake up, go up there, uh, go grab lunch there, watch all the NFL games, and hang out. Long. I mean, I've sat there for no less than, like, 16 hours at a time. Like, I, I could sit in Bob's all day, every day. And like I said, I'm in Wilmington now. I do the same thing at this Bob's. I have shirts from them. I collect them. I have hoodies. It's, it feels like home. Um, they have great wings. If you like bar food, it's the best spot. I never, I don't think went to the place. I went to Sons, but like the real staples, Merits, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. I'm not a Merits guy. Never been. Overrated. I can't sit. I've never been. I don't like tomatoes. I don't like one third of your favorite, of your best dish that I'm, and nothing against Merits, but if I don't like tomatoes, I'm not going to get a BL, you know? And so I, I never really went there. Um, there's a couple. I didn't get into the uh, what's the ice cream place? Um, we talked about it this weekend. Yeah, um, Maple View. Maple View. I yeah. didn't get to Maple View till like after I graduated. Now that's when I missed out on. But uh, yeah, I'd say if you're gonna make a night of it, you go watch a game or something at Bob's early, hang out for a little bit while it's quiet, and then it really picks up. And if you're really lucky, and if you're the luckiest person in the world, Liquid Pleasure will be playing that night, and they play the best <laughs> tunes you'll ever hear. <laughs> Can you speak on? The Ring of Honor at Pantana Bob's. Was Jeff the first? No, it would have been like Garrett Reynolds and one of those guys early. But uh, it's the it's, recent, the log, recent, yeah. Yeah, you got to log 10,000 hours is what you got to do. <laughs> you log 10,000 hours at Bob's and you get a jersey on the wall. And so I, I didn't make my 10,000 while in college, but I made it recently. When I was back in Chapel Hill, I would go out and hang, up, hang out up there when I had an afternoon off to just watch games or whatever. But I, uh, I made the ring, so I'm there. Jeff's been there for a while. Vip, you're in there. Weiler made it in there. Jeff was uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Jeff was, yeah, Jeff's the first ballot. Jeff probably logged his 10,000 before the rest of us because, like I said, he started the tradition of getting up there early on Sundays <laughs> and just watching football from, like, 
10 a.m. to like nine, and he would watch every single game. He'd sit right there. So I respect that for him. There's one fan question that I'm gonna that I was gonna answer later, but I thought you would be a good person to get your take on it too. There's Tar on these heels says, "Who is the one guy on this current team you would want with you in a bar fight?" <laughs> what? Um, oh, that's hard, man. One guy. You want me to go first, team. and and then you? Can yeah, think about you go it? first. You go first. Right. I'll think about it. My, I narrowed it down to two choices, and it's either Aaron Crawford or Jason Strobridge, and I'm leaning Jason Strobridge, just because of the added the added height. He brings off that toughness on that D line. I don't think there's too many people who are going to be messing with him. And you know, I'm maybe five nine, five ten on a good day. <laughs> I need as much size as I can get with me. And I feel like Jason Strobridge is somebody who can translate bullying offensive linemen into, you know, helping me out being in my corner. I respect that. That's a that's a good call. And I will say it feels like a little bit of a cop out that you're talking about this and you pick the two like interior defensive linemen because those are the people people would expect to be pretty gritty guys. Okay. Uh I think my pick, and I'm I'm going with the wild card. I um I would pick I think Sam Howell. The guy's got a rocket arm. He can find any object sitting around, I'd like to think, and throw it and just pepper people and just make time for us to escape. Because one thing that we always hear from Coach Door is that nothing, nothing good happens after midnight. So we would, he would slow him down. He'd hold off the charge, and we'd make our way out of there and stay out of the headlines. That's what we would do. That's a good one. So <laughs> Sam Howell, your first child name, and Sam Howell, who you want with you in a bar fight. Exactly. So exactly. let's close this interview out. We're going to do a draft where we're each picking four guys on who would, who would we want if this was Survivor, a reality TV show type contest where, you know, these guys have to win off of skill, instincts, the intangibles, who would translate the best to a Survivor type setting. It's going to be teammates that we played for as the guest. I'll let you have first pick. I get first pick. Um, yes, and, and maybe a little one, explanation why you're going with them. Absolutely. This one, uh, I was fortunate enough to call a roommate, is Nathan Staub. Uh First off, when you said this, I immediately said, well, let me think of the guys from Georgia. Because they like our, our Georgia guys for a lot of times. We, we had the Atlanta guys, but then there was like the Bufords and stuff like that. Staub was a Buford guy in northern Georgia. My first weekend in college, I'm sorry, it wouldn't have been the first. It was probably, it was first weekend of summer. Staub asked if we want to go camping. Myself, and he's at the, and the next guy that was with us is actually one of the other picks, so I won't mention him. But the three of us went out, and we get out there, and we're like, Staub, um, do we have, like, do we have hammocks? Do we have tents, anything? He's like, no, I figured we just kind of find a spot and, like, live off the land. And so the four years with Staub was kind of a series of events like that. He would do the strangest things. The guy whittled. We would sit in our dorm room and he would whittle. I don't know what he was whittling, but he tried to do things. He's just an earthy, gritty guy. And he's also, he's a foxhole guy. You tell Staub you need his help. He's got your back. So I, I take Staub first overall. Staub was on my big board. Great, great selection. Yeah. I'll go and I'll take Mac Collins, mm. former walk-on to NFL Super Bowl champion. 
He's a gritty guy. He knows what it's going to take to get things done. Survived the military prep school life before coming to North Carolina. So I feel like he's got the intangibles of, you know, what it's going to take. And he would always, he would always come up with these quotes that I don't, I don't know where he got them from or if that was just his mind working. And he would just always say things like it's better to know than to learn. And I, I don't even really know what that is or what the significance is. But I feel like if you put him on an island, he's outsmarting guys and he's yep. going to do whatever it takes to win. That's a great pick. And I, I can't do let him think about it. That's an unbelievable pick. Thank you. Your pick. Uh, I guess that, Picks yep, two. Back Picks to me. Two. Pick two. And this one's an easy one. I thought you were going to steal it from me. Uh, I think he might go unnoticed, but I'm going to take him here anyway. Uh, Junior Nyangkande. Great pick. Uh, <laughs> obvious reasons. I will say – Contrary to what I originally believed, I learned this when we were training camp roommates, he's from a city in Africa. So he's not from like the Africa that you would see in uh, in the movie or whatever. He is from a city. But I like to think he picked something up while he was there. And I think the one story that I, uh, <laughs> that I can think of for Junior was that he, um, again, pretty early on in college when we were getting to know each other, Junior ordered like probably two dozen wings from a little wing place. They come in. He eats all the meat off the wings, I mean, cleans the bones up, and then goes back and, like, ate some of the bones, too, and said it's good for your teeth. That's a guy I'll go to battle with in the woods any day. All right, and another great pick. My second pick is going to be hmm, – I'm, I'm looking at my big board. I'm trying to think where you're going to go next with your pick. But I'm going to go mm-hmm. with Connor Gannett, former running back. Okay. Wow. He, He's got, he's got a reality TV show look to him. He's, he's big, big muscles, you know, um, brings the smarts from the dog pound. There were rumors going around when we were playing in Chapel Hill that he was going to be on a reality TV show. So I already feel like he fits that reality TV show vibe. So I'm putting him on the island and, and just letting it see and just letting it see how it plays out. You think he fits them? I like that. I like the pick. I'm just, wow. Okay. I love that. I, love I feel Connor. like he's got love a tough Connor mindset. Today. Tough mindset. Yeah. I got you. He's a gritty guy. He was a fullback. He's a gritty guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. th- those I are like guys it. I want in my foxhole. <laughs> foxhole guy. I love it. I like that pick. Um, I'm, pick three. My next pick is uh, Alan Champagne. Great pick. Now, great great brand. Champagne. Yep. And here's the exact reason. Uh, that I'm picking Champagne. He was a, obviously a really smart guy. He's doing concussion research. I think he's a neuro whatever the heck he is now, but he does smart people things. But Champagne, we had one day, of course, training camps over. Guys are on the elevator, trying to get back to their rooms. Uh, probably packed a few too many 300-pounders on the elevator, but they get stuck. Uh, after a couple minutes, guys are freaking out. People are like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die on this elevator. Champagne says, hey, guys, calm down, Okay. How about half of us sit down and half of us stay up? It'll cool off. We'll, we'll feel a little cooler. And someone was, someone was pretty mad at him. Like, what, what do you think that's going to do? We need to get off this elevator. And then as they're saying that, one guy sits down. He goes, hey, 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 man, calm down. It's kind of cool down here. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> cool down here. And so Champagne is going to keep a level head. He's going uh, to direct us, lead us in the right direction. So I like him. I like my eyes with him. And he's, again, key lineman. He was the first man down on kickoff. He's a gritty guy. I like, I like guys with brains and brawn on my team for Survivor. Okay, my third pick. This is this is a little bit of a reach, 
because I know he has his flaws, but I'm going Nick Weiler. Now, oh my gosh, Nick Weiler. Speaking of kickoffs, he's probably the only kicker I've ever seen who's who's running down, looking to initiate contact every time. So you know he's going to bring the physical part. My worry is about him. A little too alpha. Could rub people the wrong way sometimes. <laughs> a little too alpha. <laughs> a little too alpha. A little too alpha. Could rub rub people the wrong way at times. Um, but I like the intangibles he brings. Smart. Got two degrees from North Carolina, doing a great job. Right. Currently in the business world. So I like what he can bring to that survivor style. Now, is it possible? My team blows up because we got a lot of alphas on our team. Sure. But yeah. it's a chance that I'm willing to take with my team. Okay. And I'm glad you didn't take my pick. I actually, I'm coming off of my other pick that I originally said I was going to pick when I had mentioned the style pick. I'm making a last minute decision. I think this is one that, that would help in the long run. Just the way my team pieced together. I'm going to go Dan Master Mateo, Nick Weiler's roommate for my, uh, for my last pick, my fourth pick. And here's why I'm going Dan. The guy has gone from probably 250 plus to about a buck 64 since he finished college. He clearly isn't eating much. So he's not taking up much of the resources on the island. And he's also another one of those foxhole guys. I'm not expecting Dan to come up with a plan. I'm not expecting him to be the first man leading the charge. But when he finds out what his role is, he's going to do a great job of it. I mean, he was, you go back and watch his senior year at UNC. He played four years as a linebacker. They asked him if he's fifth year senior, fifth year uh, at school. They asked him to switch to fullback because that's what the team needed. He did it. He played his role on special teams, ran down, made some great plays for us, came back, made some big blocks, the biggest of which I think was in that Stanford bowl game. He's a role player on this team. He's not taking up resources. He'd probably eat realistically, I don't know, once, twice. What is it? Survivor's like a month, right? He yeah. once or twice that month. Yeah, <laughs> once or twice down when he tops. So I don't think – He's got a lot of upside, and there's really no risk in the pick at all. Drafting these two teams, now looking at it before my last pick, is there any chance Nick and Dan collude and they form their own team? <laughs> there's a shot. There's a shot. <laughs> but I don't like that team's odds because they both have gotten tiny since college ended. They're probably, oh, man, wait. Being vegan out in the woods would help you now. <laughs> they could be eating fine. I don't know. I think that's a risk I'm okay to take. Um, we get it written. I get it written probably in the dance contract that he can't leave for Nick. And I think we'd be all right. He's a loyal guy. My final pick, I'm going with A.J. Blue, a guy who, who beat the odds on his upbringings, getting to Carolina, changed positions from quarterback to running back. You know he's versatile. You know he's intense. I've seen him do the pregame talks. He scares me when he does the pregame talks, and I'm on his yep. side. So, Blue is a guy that I think you put him in that setting. He's intimidating people. He's bullying people, and he's finding a way to win. There's a legit chance that you put Blue on that island. He eats me. Like you said, he's an intimidating guy. There's a chance he, he just eats me immediately. First day on the island, just hits me over the head with a rock and eats me. I mean, and I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a good pick. He's a, he's a true alpha. You've got Overall, two real alphas great, on your team, man. A lot of alphas. We, we've got a lot of alphas. I think you have more role players, so I could see yeah. if people give you the the advantage. But, Shaq, I just want to say great time talking with you and uh, look forward to catching up with you more in the future. It was a lot of fun, man. Let me know if that Target plug works out. I love their clothes. <laughs>
I will 50%, 50-50. We're going in. Love it. Let's get it. All right. I thought that was a great, funny, insightful interview with Shaquille Rashad. We're going to get to fans' questions, but first we're going to take a break from a word from our sponsors. Okay, we are back for fan questions. You could submit questions to me on Monday at TVipolis on Twitter. You could tweet it to me. You could DM me. However you get the tweet to me, I'll be sure to try to get to it. So Jackson Gore, starting it off, he asked, do you believe the team can keep this momentum and level of play up? And how big of an impact do you think the injuries are to Patrice Rene and Nick Polino? I do believe this team can keep this momentum and this level of play simply because of the fact, like I mentioned before, where they're really good at, their running backs and their defensive line, those are things that are easy to replicate on a week-to-week basis. I think that they can control the clock with the running with the running backs. They don't have to ask Sam Howell to do anything he's not comfortable with. And then defensively, they're going to get pressure on quarterbacks. And offensive coordinators are going to have to shift to have to shift their game plan where they're throwing the ball out quickly because they're not giving quarterbacks enough time to let them get through their full progressions and let them throw balls, you know, 10, 15 yards downfield because Tamon Fox, Alan Cater, Jason Strobridge, Aaron Crawford, they're getting to quarterbacks really quickly and making them really uncomfortable. And as long as those guys stay healthy, as long as Michael Carter, Javante Williams can stay healthy, I think those are things that it's going to be easy for this this team to replicate on a week-to-week basis. And they're being coached up at a very high level right now, and they're playing smart football, one penalty for only five yards last game. So they're playing smart. They're, they're a physical football team. They look conditioned to the point where they're getting better as the game goes on. They're winning fourth quarters. So I think when you look at all those factors, it does point to a team that can sustain this kind of success. Austin Williams on Twitter asked, what do you think Sam Howell's ceiling is as far as college and the NFL goes? I think Sam Howell, he's exceeded expectations early. He came in as a highly ranked guy. First game, they didn't ask him to do too much, but when they did, he showed he can make all the throws that you need to make at this college level. He's got this this moxie and the swagger about him where he's not the most vocal guy on the team, but he's got this quiet leadership where you see him out there making plays. You want to play for him as a quarterback, and and he's a guy that these players have the most confidence in. So I think, you know, there there is no ceiling for how good Sam Howell could be in college. If if he's going to continue to work at a ridiculously high level, he's a guy that I could see eventually playing on Sundays. Now he's got a long way to go, but he's shown so far that he's going to put the work in and he could be a guy who beats teams. I think that's what Carolina has been missing the past couple of years. That quarterback where you have the confidence he can make all these throws and he could go out and win you a game and not just be a game manager. Sam Howell's got that swagger about him where you tell him, hey, we need you to go win us this game, and and he's and he, he's proven right now he could go out and win you games. Shaq Rashad, <laughs> first time a, a guest has ever come back and asked a question, Shaq. This is his third question in in the three podcasts I've done, so he's, he's as loyal a listener as it comes. Shaq asked, is it out of the realm of possibility 
for us to play Clemson three times this season? I would say, yes, that's out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, I think it's fully believable, though, that this North Carolina can play Clemson twice. I think the Coastal right now, if I had to handicap it, it's going to come down to Miami, Virginia, and North Carolina. I would make Virginia the favorites after what I've seen and what what they did last year, but there's no reason to think that this North Carolina team can't be right there with Virginia in the Coastal. And then Miami's a team that I think they have, they have two losses by five points. They're playing teams really well. I think that's a game they they win a majority of the times in Chapel Hill, but they just they just couldn't get the breaks at the end. And that's a team that's that's looking at themselves 0-2 right now. But I I've seen enough from this Miami team and I think they have enough playmakers where they can figure it out as the season goes on. But Miami Miami's a team where they always need to be told how great they are. They need to have that swagger. Um, they need the warm weather. Once once the season gets gets later and they lose some close games, they're they're a team that we've seen in the past quit before. So I think if I had to rank and and North Carolina owns the tiebreaker over Miami right now. So if I had to rank who I would say is coming out of the coastal, I would go UVA one, North Carolina two, Miami three. But I really wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams are are the ones going to Charlotte to play Clemson in the ACC championship game. These two questions are pretty similar, so I'm going to answer them together. Roy McAvoy said, can you please talk about the wide receiver growth from last year? It looks like they've improved leaps and bounds. And then said also asked on Twitter, what do you think the biggest progress our wide receiver core has made from last year to this year? And I think it's just you have a consistent option at quarterback that can make all the throws that you're asking him to make. And I don't think there was ever a question of the talent guys like Anton Green, Deami Brown, Bo Corrales, Daz Newsom had. They just need someone who can get them the ball consistently, and then they'll handle the rest and make plays. Now, Mac Brown said that drops were a big concern all offseason during, during fall camp and during the spring. But they're a group that's really come together right now, and they're making big plays. I mean, how awesome is it to see Toe Groves out there making big plays, catching that fourth and 17 after all he's been through multiple multiple season-ending surgeries? So I think the biggest improvement they've made is just playing with confidence and just getting the consistency to put together four quarters of good performances because – like I said, talent has never been a question for those guys. It's just it's just finding a reliable option at quarterback. And I think you're seeing that when you have a quarterback can that can throw the ball downfield, these guys are guys that could be special at receiver. Heels Athletic says, will Carolina need to consider withholding Sam Howell from games to make sure they keep him healthy if North Carolina gets up by multiple scores in the second half sometime this year? Which game is this most likely to happen? So I'm just going to take this for, you know, which games could we see Jace Reuter? Because I think if Carolina's up, you know, three scores in games, they're not going to keep Sam Howell out there and risk him going down. But I, I think at the same time, you can't you can't plan to have Jace Reuter play just because you're worried about Sam Howell getting hurt in games. Because I think when you when you start taking those injuries into into consideration football is a sport where 
if you start playing it cautiously, you're going to get hurt. That's that's just how it works. So I would say what games will we see Jace Rue this year? I would say the Mercer game. I would be shocked if if he's not in that. And then there's a lot of games where I think Carolina can can run away with games. The Georgia Tech game, the Duke game. I think just Carolina has, when you look at those two teams on paper, and even Mercer, when you look at those three teams on paper, Carolina just has so much talent on them that you can see it becoming a blowout and becoming a game that gets away from the opponent. So I would look for Jace Ruder in those games. Mac Brown said in his press conference today that Jace Ruder had his best practice on Monday. So my hope for Jace Ruder's sake is that, you know, he's putting together better practices and, and giving the coaches confidence in him where if they put him in a game that he's going to go out there and make plays because I think I think Jace Ruder is still a quarterback who could play at a very high level. And it would it would be nice for for his sake to see him and and sh- and showcase his abilities out on the field. Redeem Team Seventeen asked, "Very minor question, but what are your thoughts on Eric Church's song becoming a tradition before the fourth quarter? Simply not a good song and awkward before the fourth quarter." I'll say I do like the song. I just don't like it in the situation Carolina's trying to use it. If you want it to be a pregame tradition, um, a tradition between the first and second quarter, in between the third and the fourth quarter, it just felt awkward being there. The players were running to the student section and getting ready to get them hyped up. And then the Eric Church song just kind of dragged out and the players were kind of looking around on the sidelines like, like what the heck is going on? Where's our fourth quarter song? And it just felt like the stadium kind of went into a lull for for how good the atmosphere was the entire day. So if I was Carolina, I would scrap that song, find a find a different place to use it, and just go just go back to the Hell's Bells and the fourth quarter song. Because when when that song when they did cut the Eric Church song and they went back to the Hell's Bells, the crowd started getting hype and the team started feeding off that energy again. And you saw what happened when they started the fourth quarter, a sack, a pass breakup, and a sack on defense. So I think just getting right to it next time instead of lulling the fans to sleep for a minute or two, however long that Eric Church song was, I think Carolina would be better off using that time just getting right to it or or playing something else that could get the fans hype and the team hype before you switch to to the Hell's Bells fourth quarter video. Michael Carroll asked, will we see much from the tight end position this year? Haven't seen much to date. He also asked, with Renee out for the year, do you expect Storm Duck to take over or will Kelly get a shot at cornerback full-time? I just realized I didn't answer Jackson Gore's question earlier about how big of an impact do you think the injuries to Renee and Polino will have? So I'm going to talk about that first. I think those losing those two guys hurts. Those are two of your senior leaders and two guys you really needed to count on for this Carolina team. I think losing guys like that in your locker room, it's going to hurt out on the field. And I think you kind of saw that when Polino went down. Carolina was moving the ball really well in Miami. Now, maybe Miami just made their adjustments. They're a defense that has a ton of NFL talent. But Polino is still a guy that you want out there if you're North Carolina. And you're hoping he could he could come back later on this season. And a guy like Patrice Renee, who 
has emerged for North Carolina as a number one corner. I think it hurts losing him because of because of he basically shut out one receiver from a game completely and basically turned turned the game into a ten on ten. It hurts losing a guy like Patrice Renee. I I know Patrice. He's he's a great guy. Um, I'm wishing him the best in his recovery. I went through the ACL surgery and the recovery process, and it's it's one that's challenging, and it's one that you need to stay close to your teammates with because it'll test you physically, it'll test you mentally. Um, it's a, it's an isolating process, and as a as a fan, it's it's just a nice gesture to show Patrice Renee that you're behind him through his support because this team wouldn't be 2-0 and right now if you didn't have guys like Patrice Renee and Nick Polino in the locker room. So getting back to Michael Carroll's question, will we see much from the tight end position this year? Uh, the, the tight end position is has been kind of, kind of shocking from North Carolina in the passing game. Carl Tucker has one catch, and yeah, it was a big catch uh, on third down in the Miami game, but I think Carl Tucker is a player who's who was primed for a big breakout season and to only have one catch through two games is kind of shocking. Now maybe Carolina when they are letting Sam Howell throw the ball there most of those throws have been on the outside outside of the numbers and not letting it get in all that congestion in the middle of the field. So maybe when the talent level from the opposing team drops down, South Carolina and Miami, they both have top 25 defenses when the open up when the middle of the field opens up and Carolina trusts the offense to kind of run through the middle more, then maybe you'll see a guy like Carl Tucker have his breakout game where he catches balls, he he scores a touchdown. But yeah, I think I think Carolina Carolina's offense can reach another level if they find a way to get their tight end involved. And then with with Renee out for the year, do you expect Storm Duck to take over, or will Kelly get a shot at cornerback full time? I think your starting cornerbacks are set right now. It's it's Greg Ross and it's Trey Morrison. Those two have done a great job this season. Greg Ross is a guy who got a ton of flack last season, and this year this year you haven't even noticed him on the field because teams either aren't throwing at him or when they are throwing at him, he's shutting the receiver down. So I think Greg Ross is a guy who's really emerged under Dre Bly's leadership and Dre Bly's coaching to be a, a corner that this North Carolina team can count on. So I think Morrison and Greg Ross are your starting corners. And then behind, you've got the two true freshmen and OB and Storm. And I think Carolina trusts those two enough to get them in the game. And Cameron Kelly, he's only been off the scout team for less than two weeks. So it's something that as he gets more comfortable, then maybe you could start to increase his role and increase his production. But you're counting on you're counting on three true freshmen to play meaningful minutes at the cornerback position. So if you're Carolina, you're hoping Greg Ross and and Trey Morrison stay healthy and and be corners that that can shut down um, be corners that can shut down receivers. The final question is from. Maliski underscore Mark on Twitter, and he asked, how is Jamie Newman Wake Forest's quarterback as a deep threat passer? Worried about big plays after losing Patrice. Yeah, Jamie Newman on throws 20-plus yards down the field. He's 6 of 8 this season for 249 yards, 3 touchdowns. 
He's got two really tall receivers, Scotty Washington, 6'5". Sage Surratt is 6'3", brother of Chaz Surratt. And just, just a quick note on Sage Surratt. The more you watch him play, the more it's shocking that Carolina didn't even offer him. You had to think they had the advantage with Chaz already on the roster. Um, just knowing how much Chaz loves North Carolina, you you got to think Sage could have shared that same passion for North Carolina. And for him to for to lose him on the recruiting battle to a team like Wake Forest, that has to hurt. Especially since I'm pretty sure when you consider that class of 2017, eight of the 20 signees in that class are no longer on that team. So there would there would definitely be a place for a guy like Sage Surratt on this team. Those those are two receivers with over 200 yards. And Jamie Newman, he, he's he got the confidence to let those guys go up and make big plays. So he's, he's a really good quarterback. He leads the conference in completion percentage. He leads the conference in passing yards. He leads the conference in touchdown to interception ratio. He's thrown six touchdowns, no interceptions. So he's doing a really good job protecting the ball. The biggest thing for Wake Forest now is their level of talent that they're going up against is about to seriously increase. They played Utah State game one. They played Rice game two. Now you're getting a Jay Bateman-led defense, a North Carolina defense that's that's starting to come into form. They're, they're way ahead of schedule. So now you're about to be challenged at a level that you haven't seen before this year. So I think I think I'm really looking forward to seeing Newman and Howell go head to head and seeing this North Carolina Wake Forest game. Wake Forest hasn't been tested this year. North Carolina is coming off two two games that were very emotional. So there's there's a chance for a letdown. There's also a chance that Wake Forest hasn't seen a team as good as North Carolina this year. So it should be a good matchup Friday in Wake Forest. So that's going to end the podcast. I want to take the time to thank you if you're still listening. And we'll be back next week to talk about Wake Forest and preview Carolina's upcoming game. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.